Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage. Hi, folks. My name is Greg Gregory, CSP and founder of the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that we really do dedicate ourselves to teamwork, leadership, and culture. We strive to find and bring you guests each week that can help you build your teams, whether it is personal teams, personal teams, uh, volunteer groups and organizations. All of those things have a commonality in there of teamwork, leadership, and culture. And our goal today is the same. We're speaking with the CEO of Big B Coffee, and that's going to be a lot of interesting. You know, I, I got to admit, when I first saw this come across my desk, I didn't know Big B Coffee, but they're a regional and a very large regional coffee house that's doing some incredible things. And that's what's fascinating is watch how they grew, how they faltered possibly a little bit, and how they're growing again right now. Uh, I'm in Maryland, so here we don't have Big B Coffee yet. So we'll have to see if we can work on that. But a little bit about Mike McFall. He is the CEO of Big B Coffee. He's a thought leader and conscious business owner and promoter of, listen to this, love in the workplace. And that's, that's powerful because that's what we've got to start to work towards in today's crazy society. He's the author of a book called Grow, Take Your Business from Chaos to Calm. He also does public speaking, faculty member at the University of Michigan. So a lot of great criteria coming to us today to talk about Bigby and talk about teamwork, leadership, and culture. Mike, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, we're excited about this. And like I said, I had never heard of Big B Coffee, so I had to start researching it and going online and finding out about you guys. And you've been around for, what, almost 20 years now, right? Uh, we are in our, we're in our 28th year. 28th? We're in our 20th year. Yeah, we were founded in March of 1995. Okay. I can't do my math anymore. Okay, got that. <laughs> <laughs> so you started in March of 95, but let's go back before that. I mean, you didn't wake up one day at an eight-year-old and said, I'm going to start a coffee business. What got you to where you are? Well, you know, I, I had a, uh, what I would say is a, a, a pretty um, standard and, and maybe in, in many, uh, many versions, a utopic uh, upbringing uh, here. You know, just I, I live in Ann Arbor now. I grew up about a half hour north of here. Uh, you know, my parents, uh, you know, did, a, did an amazing job of, of raising us in a way that, that, life is meant to be an adventure and, uh, and, and, and they helped us live that. And so, you know, I was an athlete growing up, um, you know, good enough to know I wasn't very good, I think, uh, is, is how I would say that, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I did early on in life. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I, I did, uh, Get, I boarded a, a square rig tall ship in Nova Scotia uh, as, as my junior year in high school. And I sailed halfway around the world to uh, Singapore and uh, we, we stopped at 13 countries. And, and I got back from that. I, uh, I, I ended up at a small uh, liberal arts, uh, private college here in Michigan called Kalamazoo College. And uh, then it, when I was there, I, uh, I opted to spend my junior year of my, my collegiate years in Sierra Leone in West Africa 
at the time, uh, it was considered to be the poorest and least developed country in the world. Uh, and it was just about to spiral into about a uh, 12 year, uh, civil war. Uh, it, 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 I was the last student group to go there and that, and so well, the reason I bring those things up is when I was growing up, uh, my, my parents were, uh, advocates of going ahead and pushing the envelope and doing things that were a little bit unusual and, and the expectation of life being an adventure. I, I, I stumbled into entrepreneurship. I, I, before this, uh, before ending up in, in the coffee business, I was headed more towards academia and, and studying and researching and writing and so on. But uh, what happened to me was I was on a very specific research project at Michigan State University, and I took a job at this, this uh, coffee shop in East Lansing uh, and fell in love with the coffee business. And so that one store was our very first store. Uh, I started in our very first store as a, uh, as a, barista. I would work the morning shift. So I would work from 6am till, uh, till 2pm. Uh, and then I would walk over to the university and I would work four hours over at the university in my office there doing research. The, the, what trans, trans transition for me was that my business partner today, Bob Fish, uh, the co-founder, co-CEO of the company with me, uh, he approached me about becoming a manager in, in the business. And I, I wasn't really thinking about being, uh, in the coffee business full time. Um, but in March of 1996, we, uh, we ended up going for a long walk, uh, one afternoon, we sat down first interview style for me to become a manager uh, of his business. And, uh, we ended up going for a long walk instead of sitting across the table from each other. And we shook hands at the end of that walk and we agreed to uh, become partners and to form a new company uh, that would be the company that we would use to grow the brand uh, Big B Coffee. And that's, that's, our, that's our company today. So, so we shook hands that many years ago and, and here we are today and we're still, we're still growing the business. And, and, and you know, honestly, I feel like, and I know he agrees with me that we're, we're just getting started. And that's yeah. kind of a cool thing to say after 28 years. Well, yeah, it really is because, you know, when I've gone through, you guys had some amazing success. I mean, MSNBC recognized you at points uh, as far as how you were growing, but you had a little bit of a setback in there. You want to talk to us a little bit about that setback? Yeah, it's a really pivotal, pivotal moment in our history. Uh, it would have it been... makes you who you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we came out of the Great Recession. Uh, and we were booming and we were growing like crazy. We had our biggest years of growth uh, in 2012, 2013, 2014. And what my partner and I started to notice was that we were becoming less and less inspired uh, to be working in the business and growing the business. The reason, you know, looking back on it now in hindsight, the reason was, is that, you know, we didn't understand what the heck it was all for. And we, I think we started to, to figure out that adding one more increment of uh, value to our balance sheet or, you know, another comma to our, uh, to our income like that, that, that wasn't inspiring us. We were making good livings. Uh, we, you know, I, I would say at that point, we probably weren't too worried about retirement or, you know, putting our kids through college or that kind of stuff. And so it just became like, well, what's it all for? And, and, and we kept exploring all these different kinds of ideas, like doing an acquisition or maybe starting a new brand or, you know, these, all these business concepts, but it kept coming back to 
well, why? <laughs> why? You know, and so mm -hmm. it really was this this uh, this moment where we uh, we were losing our 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 grip on what the heck we were doing it for. And we didn't really understand it. You know, at the beginning, it's just survival and grow it and grow it. So so you could have a job or so you could make money for your family and so on. Right. We were we were beyond all of that. And so we had about we had a two probably a two to three year conversation about this about what was going on for us and and trying to explore different well long story short i um i happened to be up on in a very remote island uh off of um the the northwest corner of uh, michigan and i was there with, on a camping trip with my son and my brother and we went for a, a walk there's no retail on this island there's only campsites and uh you know it's uh it's it you know it's quite remote and we we ended up going for a walk one day and we we're on the farthest most remote part of the island and i looked over and there was a couple hovering over like a camp stove on the beach and you know i didn't i didn't obviously engage them they were doing their own thing but i had a i had this most amazing like peaceful feeling set in for me at that moment Later that evening, where we were camping, you had a communal campfire. That couple walked up and sat down with us for dinner. The the husband started talking to my my brother about his work in conscious capitalism, and that he was a he was a consultant uh, for companies in exploring uh, conscious business, conscious capitalism. And so I sat and listened to him. I handed him my card, and and he. Um, uh, you know, we made, we made contact a week later, we ended up engaging him in a three year, uh, consulting contract to work with us, to find our, our purpose and our vision. And, and I, and Greg, I know that sounds crazy. It took us three full years. I'm glad you said that because so many people think they can do that in a weekend and, they get into it and they come up with words, but they're not words they can live by forever. Yeah, wor words that can power your entire being. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And then yeah. sometimes, you know, when you have a purpose, sometimes that purpose may get shifted a little bit. And uh, when you've got the right purpose, it may shift, but then you understand the shift that's happening and you can shift with it. Yeah. yeah, well, it was, it was incredibly powerful, uh, and you know, we had I have so many stories about the impact that 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 work had. I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've now written two books uh, since that moment. I, uh, I published my first book in 2018. I published my 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 last one came out uh, June 6th of this year, and all of that work is in relation to the purpose. And I'm doing all of that while at the same time managing the business and, uh, mm -hmm. and growing and growing our company. And that's, that's so key because the setback that you had with yourselves and you and Bob was impacting the organization and was having a detrimental effect on the culture at that time. Am I right? Well, I, you know, when we were, when we were in it, meaning, Pre that uh, self-reflective moment right. when we were really just growing and 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 trying to build something that was uh, sustainable and so on, you know, we we were so wrapped up in that that we never really noticed. I think that our culture was unhealthy. Right. And and when we were able to come out of that to a degree and really begin to think about 
what what it was all about and what it was all for uh that's when we started to to reflect on uh and and make real powerful changes in the in the company and i'll tell you there was one moment too another really important moment i think this is uh pertinent to to your podcast for sure and that was up until that you know that moment we were reflecting I'd always built a huge wall up in between me and anybody who worked in the organization personally. And I lived my personal life on one side of the wall and I had my, my, my business persona on the, on the other side of the wall. I was in a meeting and I'll never forget this. I was in a meeting with people that had worked with us for at that point, 10, 12, 15 years. It was our senior leadership team. And it dawned on me that the people in that room were people that were my primary relationships in the world and were going to be my primary relationships in the world in the future. And when I had that epiphany, a whole bunch changed for me. And I'd always been protective because I always felt like I had to, that I might have to make a decision at some point down the road that would put those people in peril, sell, you know, sell or bring in private equity or whatever it might be. And so I always was very, very guarded. Right. And I also, and that epiphany also was wrapped up in the fact that I didn't have, that didn't have to be my outcome that I controlled my outcome. <laughs> I didn't have to do that. And when I had that epiphany, that changed a lot for, for, for me personally. Okay. All right. You mentioned something when you were on that camping trip, when this consultant started speaking with your brother and you mentioned the word conscious capitalism. I think we all know what capitalism is. Yeah. What is conscious capitalism? Let's get the definition of that so we can figure that out because therein is the, uh, the part of the foundation for Big B Coffee today. It is. It is. Uh, you know, we are referring to it as stakeholder capitalism because, I mean, it's, it's the same model. Uh, conscious capitalism, stakeholder cast, it's the same model. What it is at its core is that instead of having Milton Friedman came in 1971 and, 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 you know, wrote a, uh, an essay in the New York times advocating for that. The only thing that managers of businesses had to do was to return on shareholder value. Uh, conscious capitalism brought a different perspective and conscious capitalism brings the perspective of stakeholders and that there are six equal stakeholders inside of a company. And as the manager of the business, you're responsible equally to all six. Okay. And so the six are the community in which you do business, the, the environment. So our natural resources, the environment, the, your, your vendors, uh, that you do business with your customers, your employees, and then also the shareholder. So when you're making decisions, you have to take into account all six stakeholders and make sure that you aren't sacrificing one stakeholder over another when you're making decisions and managing and running the business. And it's just, I mean, it makes for a more powerful, more well-rounded organization that isn't solely focused simply on the shareholder. When you're thinking about it like that, my mind goes back to um, 1985 and Johnson and Johnson, when the 
Tylenol debacle happened in Chicago. They originally wanted to pull it off the shelves just in Chicago, but the board decided no, because they weren't paying attention to just their stake, their shareholders. They were taking it conscious, conscientiously about everybody else. They took it off the, sta off the stage completely globally and then rebuilt and came back. Is that kind of the direction we're looking at there? That would be a great example. Yeah, okay. that would be a great example. And, you know, one of the things that that needs to be emphasized when you're considering the, the stakeholder capitalism model is that this does not mean the shareholder sacrifices. Absolutely. And by being a, a, a stakeholder driven organization, in my opinion, long term, the state the, the shareholder will also uh, benefit wow. more powerfully uh, than just purely the the traditional model. So let's talk about it from your level at the C-suite, even all the way down through leadership levels into your stores. What does it take from a leadership's perspective or standpoint to build a culture that really builds around this conscious capitalism or stakeholder capitalism? And then how have you guys built into that at Bigby? Well, I think that, you know, one, it zooms out the lens of the C-level manager and begins to incorporate more into decision-making. And so when, when we're addressing uh, strategic uh, policy or, you know, when we're, we're thinking about different initiatives that we want to be involved in, we're, we're considering, we are considering impact on uh, the employee impact on the environment impact on the community in which we do business. And, and so, you know, it is, it's something that I think uh, is a, it's a healthier perspective and a healthier approach for everyone involved. Some of the stuff that we do very specifically uh, we run a fully transparent business. And so, you know, we are, uh, we're a privately held company. We have we have two shareholders, myself and, and my partner, and we run, we run a fully transparent company. Okay. So uh, the financials are, you know, everybody sees the full detailed financials. Everybody knows down to the penny uh, how much money my my partner and I make, you know, uh, and, and it's, uh, but, but we've, we've, we've always believed in, in full transparency and having full respect for the employee, that the employee is an adult, that they can comprehend, you know, the, the complexity of everything we have going on. And, and ultimately at the end of the day, that transparency invites people into the complexity of the environment and allows them to understand better what the heck is going on and what we're trying to do. Right. And I think that's powerful when they really feel like they're part of the decision process in a lot of cases. That's what they're doing. How do you, and I'm not sure how, how to ask the question, but when you're looking for managers and leaders at the frontline level, at the store levels, that type of thing, your, even your franchise owners, how do you find them? How do you get people to buy into the whole idea of conscious capitalism versus just greed and capitalism. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put that. Uh, so, so I think, um, I mean, Gordon Gecko was not right. He was not right. So it's a, it's an interesting question. This question about, 
about finding people. And I, I talk to, I talk all the time about how, in my opinion, as leaders, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be on a quest to find people, find good people. We should be on a quest to build environments that people want to be a part of. And I think you do that primarily through your purpose and what you are up to, what you stand for in the world. We've had two really important strategic hires uh, in the last couple of years. One was a chief uh, operating officer that joined us. He's been with us this July will be two years. And, uh, and then we hired a C uh, CFO just recently. And both, I had a conversations uh, last week with both of them. And each one of them said the reason they're with us is because they aligned well with our purpose and they thought it was something that they wanted to do in the, in the swan song of their careers. They're both professionals. They've they've been at it a long time. And, and so, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a concept, um, by Jim Collins. Uh, it's, it's about getting the right people on the bus. And, and Chapter I disagree. Is that three what it of the is? book? That's, it's, um, First, uh, wow, wow, get the chapter name now, but it's chapter three of the book, Good to Great. Um, yeah, Good yeah. to Great. Yeah. And, but there's a gentleman by the name of McNamara that wrote a very similar book uh, that studied uh, uh, companies that were not as mature as the companies that Jim Collins studied. And his concept that I agree with even more than Jim Collins' concept is, well, how about we first start by building a bus that people want to be a, a part of? build a bus that people want to ride on. And right. so to me, that's what we as leaders need to be doing. And when you do that, you'll find the need, you'll, you'll, the, the need to go out and find people will go down because more people will want to be a part of your organization. Absolutely. Uh, it's, and it's interesting. You're saying that because of your CFO and the people that you're bringing in are more seasoned and they're having that mindset. That mindset is very heavily involved in today's youth coming out of college. Yeah. They're looking to find something that means to them to line up with their values if they can find the matching company. And that's more than money to them. Yeah, well, I, I read something the other day that 76% of employees would leave their job today if they could find a similar job that had more meaning. Wow. 76%. Now, it's interesting because I've asked the question over the years, how many would leave their job uh, if they're a, a previous boss of theirs that they really love to work for would, would offer them a job? And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah 90% that's gotta of the people be, there. Yeah. Got to be. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, what are they? I just, uh, people don't work at companies. They work for their manager. Yeah. 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 They work in the environment. And so, yeah. so in, whether the environment is the people they're working with, or it's the belief of the, uh, of the organization. It's all yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And so that, that's a huge factor in your stakeholder of the employee is getting employees who really want to be there. Yeah. You know, as opposed to taking a job, which just means jump over backwards. Yeah. And I, I, you know, in my book, uh, uh, one of the major premises of the book is that our job as leaders is to create an environment for people to thrive within mm -hmm. and to create team environments that people thrive within. And to me, we, uh, the key to that is building, nurturing, supportive, loving environments that when people show up to work, they feel like 
they can show up as their authentic self. They're safe. They bring their opinions, their, you know, their ideas to the table. Uh, and those are the environments that I think are um, highly effective and powerful. And those are the environments that we all need to learn how to create. And I think great leaders do. And I, th I think you're absolutely right. And that's bringing people in at the third level in Maslow's hierarchy when you stop to look at that. It's yes. giving that sense of belonging when they first walk in the door and they don't have to worry about building levels one and two. Right, right, right. So in, in your book, Grow, you're talking about now taking the next step from just conscious capitalism or stakeholder capitalism. You're talking about taking it up to the next step and getting the business to run sustainably. So yeah. getting the people is one thing. Keeping it sustainable, you know, there's the old expression, getting to the top is easy, staying to the top is difficult. Right. So how do you keep it sustainable? Well, you know, the book picks up from, book number one goes from the day you commit to a new concept mm -hmm. to your first days of positive cash flow. Okay. That, that book is called Grind. The second book row picks up in that bootstrapping entrepreneurial moment when you, it appears you have a, a legitimate, successful idea and business on your hands. And then, and then it goes on this very long arc of the first thing you have to do is transition out of the bootstrapping phase into being an effective leader of your organization and of your team. And that's a transition that's very difficult for, for many entrepreneurs to make because yeah. so much of what made us successful as entrepreneurs gets in our way in terms of leadership. And my partner and I lived that. <laughs> that was a, I don't even know, five to seven to maybe even a 10 year transition for us, right? To go from that maniacal, obsessive entrepreneur who dives into every detail and thinks, you know, we think we have the answer for everything to transitioning into becoming an effective leader of a team where you're facilitating an environment for other people to thrive. Right. So, so that is a, it's a huge transition, but then I go even further and I say, we also need to transition as entrepreneurs from leader to what I call irrelevance. And irrelevance means that you are no longer necessary in the organization for the organization to continue to thrive. And so that, again, is an incredibly arduous transition because you go from being, quote, you know, top of the mountain, the key leader, you know, you're, you're, you're getting all the accolades for everything that's going on. But then I want you to transition from that into irrelevance where your phone rings twice a week, <laughs> where you're not engaged in meetings, where the team itself, and you have a new leader in place, and the team itself is driving the business, and the business will continue to thrive even if you're run over by a bus tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And some organizations that come to mind like that that have done that very well, of course, are Apple uh, yeah. doing that transition, and Marriott Corporation. Uh, how yeah. they've taken it from their, you know, their early days of what they did. All the way yeah. Through. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and, and to me, it gives the entrepreneur ultimate flexibility. Mm -hmm. You can hold it. You can continue to own it. You can bring in strategic partners. You could sell it. You can, you know, it gives you infinite possibilities mm -hmm. and you're still 
in the driver's seat with those ultimate decisions, which I think is, I think what a lot of people aspire to, but very few can get there. Yeah, it, you're saying irrelevance. Irrelevance does not mean insignificance. Exactly. So, so it doesn't mean insignificance. And, and, you know, like we get to, we still get to work on things that we love. We mm -hmm. still get to be involved in the things that our team wants us to be involved in. We can get involved in the stuff that is exciting. And, and, you know, the, you know, and I, we still get dragged back uh, into conversations that, uh, you know, are more in the minutia from time to time, but that's mm -hmm. because our team invites us back into those conversations. So that's a different mentality. So let's talk here about, You've got an organization, a small to medium sized organization, maybe four or 500 employees. And how are you helping other managers understand that part of the transition for themselves? Because you've got to keep, in order to keep the puzzle moving and growing, each person has to continue to do that. What do you do to help them understand how to be a better leader themselves and to let go a little bit of their purse strings, if you will. Especially well, now, you're also talking about a lot of franchise holders, which feel like they own that that particular place. Yeah, well, they do. Yeah. <laughs> they do. It's theirs, you know. Yeah, it's theirs. Uh, you know, it's it's for us right now. Uh, a big part of it is to lead by example. Uh, but then, you know, we do run formal training around leadership uh, and around these concepts. You know, my book series is meant to be a way to to affect and have influence uh, on on our internal teams as well. Uh, and so, you know, it is um, each one of us, though, as leaders, one of the primary things we need to be doing always is building more leaders and and continuing to uh build strong people within our organizations that can facilitate the team dynamic. You know, just because somebody is an amazing leader in their discipline doesn't necessarily mean they're a good prospect for an overall leader, if right. that makes sense. And right. so constantly looking for people within the organization who want it, you know, that's a big part of this is they want to do it uh, and that they, that they, you know, have the ability and the understanding, you know, one of the things that I, that I'm really proud of in both of my books is a concept called, well, we all know the concept of due diligence, but the, the, the concept in, in my books that I, that I love is that we as leaders need to continuously be doing due diligence on ourselves. Wow. Knowing, Dude, knowing, I want to visit that again. We yeah. have to, leaders need to do due diligence continually on ourselves, not necessarily an external, but an internal force. Correct. Okay. Understanding, understanding how we impact the organization. And, and that is all around self-awareness. And, and so this idea, this idea of continuously diving into and analyzing and working on and getting feedback around our impact as a leader is absolutely critical to the success of the team and then therefore the success of the organization. And it's something that I don't think uh, we've talked enough about in leadership is, is that we, we need 
well, I also, I have this, this, <laughs> this concept that the best, your best mentor, Greg, your best mentor mm-hmm. is, is your team. We all think of mentorship as outside forces. These people that have been there before, been through it and can shed some kind of brilliant light on, on us and our work to help us. The best place to get the feedback you need as a leader is from the people you are leading. Absolutely. I mean, that, I'm amazed when I do a lot of my training sessions and I talk about a 360 feedback at the number of people who don't understand the power in that. Oh, yeah, um, it's incredible. Dr. Steve, Dr. Stephen Covey's concept of doing a 360, what, 40 years ago was just incredible. Yeah. Getting, getting, yeah. That, getting that feedback, it helps us really start to grow. What, when you've got a manager or a leader in there, and you've got somebody who wants to do it, but they don't really have the ability, but then you may have somebody who has the ability who may not want it. <laughs> you know, you've got all those little parodies that start to come together. Um, again, you create the right position. How do you find the person? How do you work with the person? How do you help them grow? Well, everyone's different. Uh And that again is, is a nuance in leadership is that your job as the leader is to be intimately engaged in each individual that you're leading to understand their nuances, what they need what they aspire to. Uh, And that is something that I think leaders don't spend enough time focusing on. Mm -hmm. And we oftentimes expect people to adjust to us as leaders and to our style and Mm -hmm. to what we, what we expect and want as opposed to, as opposed to understanding the individual and then making sure that we are meeting that individual and providing that individual with that individual needs. I've, I've got a great example. Mm-hmm. I had a, br- I had a brilliant, brilliant guy who ran my IT department. Uh, he's gone on, he left us uh, years ago. He's gone on to do just incredible things in the world. And, you know, I used to get frustrated because we had an 8am management meeting, you know, whatever it was every Thursday morning. And he always showed up like a hot mess into that meeting, (laughs) you know, hadn't slept. His hair was all messed up. He hardly said three words in the meeting, you know, and I used to get super frustrated with that. And then we, he and I had a heart to heart one time. He said, Mike, listen, I work best from midnight till three or four in the morning. That is when I am hyper productive and I can get more done in three hours than I could in a week of working from noon till 4 p.m. And, you know, when I realized that I was trying to fit this guy into my structure that was important uh-huh. to me, yep. when I realized that and transitioned that, all of a sudden the relationship started to work better. You know, I understood him better. I mean, it's one, it's one really sort of particular example, but I think it's a good example. That's, and a, that's I, a phenomenal example. Yeah. And I just, and I just stopped, I stopped forcing him to come to 8am management meetings. <laughs> I just, you know, and it was, uh, you know, and it, and it worked, it worked infinitely better after that. And it's so important to recognize that because there are so many folks who think their way is the only way to do something. Right. Exactly. Um, my father, I've lost him a number of years ago, but behavior style wise, he was one, he thought everybody should be like him and didn't understand other people. But some people also think the same about medications. Well, that worked for them, why isn't it working for me? Everybody is different. 
Right. And we've got to recognize that. And that's the power of what we talk about here on the Teamwork Advantage is getting people to recognize how different different people are. Even though they may both be extroverts, they're still going to have different nuances. Yes, yes, and then, yes. So let me ask you this. As you start to go down the road, you, you've been very successful. Bigby is growing. Um, what challenges lie ahead? The, the challenges that I think we face are whether we can transition our organization fully into an organization that is aligned around our purpose. And that's a, that's a really significant challenge. And uh, you know, the, the fact that we're a franchise company, we have independent owners. Uh, they, you know, they may, or they may not be interested in what the heck we're up to. I think that is a, that's a really significant challenge for us. It's on the forefront of everything we're trying to do. Um, you know, we have a, a, our vision is to improve workplace culture in the United States. And, you know, that is something that we are, uh, that's our reason for being. And so if we can't, if we can't, if we can't facilitate that and, and, and make a very significant dent in improving workplace culture in the United States, then, you know, what we're up to here will be a failure. So, you know, I think that um, our, one of our challenges is that uh, we aren't, we don't own all of our stores. The people that work in the stores are not necessary. They're not our employees. And so, uh, uh, you know, for us to have impact on, you know, let's say compensation, we don't, we, we don't weigh in on compensation as an example. And so, you know, there, there's just a lot to getting our uh, uh, manifesting our vision in terms of the type of company we are, which is a franchise company. And the beauty of a franchise company is you have all these really powerful, quite successful, experienced people coming in and making an investment in your brand and building a business within your brand. That's the power of a franchise. At the same time, these are extraordinarily independent people that, that <laughs> you know, that don't necessarily, I mean, then they shouldn't, they shouldn't necessarily, uh, buy into what the heck we're doing. It, it, it's not, you know, and so, you know, it, it is, uh, I would say that that's, it's a large challenge for us. Um, you know, growth right now is, is really quite incredible. Uh, you know, we were growing at, I just saw, um, May grew 27% year over May last year. And, and like that's, that's a huge number on the numbers that we're talking about. And, and so growth is happening. The business is thriving. Uh, we have all kinds of, of, of issues, of course, and challenges. Um, but I would say that that's probably from my perspective, my biggest challenge. And, you know, it's so important to me because it's why, I mean, I'm, I'm writing books on it, you know, and I'm spending half my life, uh, with great people like you talking about this stuff. And, and, uh, and, you know, that's the, the, that's the challenge. Let's get ready to wrap up, but I want to chat one little bit about culture because you brought it up here and I think it's so powerful. How do you keep the culture? You've got it in your office. Let's even just talk about within the stores that are corporate owned. How do you keep that culture so powerful, so focused? Because I know a lot of organizations, even on small teams, they struggle keeping a culture together. How do you guys do it? 
Well, you, you talk about it constantly. Okay. You, you bring it forward at every opportunity. You use your purpose and your vision as the, the bedrock for the, for the guideposts uh, that, that keep you on track, you know? And so it is something that you're, you, like I, I, we had a management meeting where we brought all of our managers together. We do it once a month. And our last one, you know, we got to the end of it. And uh, we, what we do is my partner and I sit through the whole meeting, uh, the C-Hive, uh, C-Suite within our company breaks off afterward uh, and then convenes. And then my partner and I come on and we talk about the meeting for the first five or 10 minutes. And my feedback at that moment was we just had a two hour long meeting with every manager in the business present. And I didn't hear our purpose or vision mentioned at all. Wow. And, and, you know, that was something that was, uh, you know, uh, that I brought as an alarm bell uh, to the group. It's like, this needs to be part of just yeah. about everything that we're doing and, and be the, the reason for why uh, we're here and that the economic engine of the business that is managing a franchise for coffee shops, that economic engine is to fuel and to propel our purpose and our vision. And so if all we're focusing on is the economic engine itself, we're missing, we're missing the whole point. And, and the whole point is our culture. That's the culture is the whole point is if that makes sense. It does. I mean, for somebody who believes in culture completely, that absolutely makes sense. Keeping it at the forefront, it's the reticulating activator, if you will, bringing it to the forefront of the mind. So the decisions are focused around that so that people can work together. So they're all part of that. We got a gentleman on the podcast uh, back in the early days, and he, that's exactly what he does is they bring it up. They do certain culture days and they're constantly bringing the culture back. Yeah. And yeah. he's trying to do that. And that, that's, that's so powerful. He's actually terminated somebody because they started not living the culture. Sure. And that's, sure. that's what that starts to go. And that's um, the thing that senior leadership, my partner and I, that's what we're, that's what we're here to do. Yeah. You know, we, I don't run meetings. I don't, you know, I don't worry about, you know, necessarily the financials as much anymore and so on. What my job as a senior leader, the uh, co-CEO of the company is to facilitate, nurture and develop, continue to develop the culture. That is my role. And at this level, you've got the incredible vision that you then have to disseminate down through the ranks so that everybody else can see that vision, which ties the culture together. Am I on the right page? Yeah, that's, that's everything. I mean, it's everything, you know, it, and, and that's, you know, to me, it's, you know, top three or four things that need to be happening within the organization all the time, every day. As we wrap up here, what are the two or three things you might tell a manager of a division within a company to do to help create their culture better? Is there something they could do? Away from the C-suite. Yeah. What, what can we tell other managers? What could you tell your franchise owners? What could you work with that, that side on as far as to develop a better culture? Stronger. Well, I, I think first and foremost, you know, we haven't talked much about values and core values, but, but, you know, you got to have the rules to live by within the team. 
And so you have to, you have to establish those. They have to be real and you have to use them constantly when you're involved in a team and critiquing uh, members of a team and working with members of a team. So, so establishment of core values and, and making sure that they're living and breathing within your team minute in, minute out every single day is critical. The other thing that I would tell leaders is to quiet your voice. Don't, don't be the most powerful voice in the room. Speak last, if at all. Facilitate others bringing their voice. When you don't hear from people within a meeting, circle back with them after the meeting and check in with them and and understand maybe why they aren't why they weren't talking and get their opinions ask them specifically about content from the meeting and ask for their opinion on that and and so so quiet your voice but then facilitate the engagement of others would be would be point 2 and then 3 you have to build an environment where people feel safe and then the the primary the primary way to make people feel safe is to live within integrity yourself as a leader and then demand that integrity of others and so that and that that goes full circle to the core values yeah. right the core values should give you rules and it, rules of engagement and so on so you as the leader have to live within integrity on those but then you have to expect others to live with an integrity. And then that's how you end up with people uh, trusting in and feeling safe within your team. And to me, the, the um, I would say those are the three primary things that we need to be doing as leaders. And I love it because you brought back in, you're right, we didn't discuss core values. But core values drive the culture. Core, culture is derived from the core values. And they they go hand in hand. It's, yeah, it's two legs. It's the two legs of a human. One yeah. goes, well, the other one goes right with it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, the core values are something that we need to be constantly engaged in. And it's just I look at core values. Uh, if if I'm an outsider stepping into a team, those core values are the rules and with when with which I have to live within that team. And I understand that. And so that's the expectation. And they're just, they're just so critical to uh, the health and, and foundation of a team. Yeah, it's, it goes back. It's not about the skills somebody has. It's about their values that they have to bring to the team because you can always teach the skills. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Mike, this is a great way to wrap it up. Uh, I want to learn more about Bigby. Uh, maybe you'll bring a coffee shop down here and I might actually go in and get a cup of tea since I don't drink coffee. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say that out loud, do you? You don't have to say that. <laughs> I, uh, it's interesting. I love going into coffee shops. My late wife and I would go and she would get a coffee and I would just sit there and just, it actually would relax me. It yeah. would bring me to a center point so I could breathe and just enjoy the smells. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. They, they really are. They're 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 points of community, and that's what I love about them. Absolutely. There, I, I will meet people in a coffee shop a lot of times and do work there because, again, it's just it's a great place to bring a community. And community then, of course, has the word unity, which ties us together. Yeah. So, yeah. So I appreciate your time today. Hopefully, we can get you back on in a little while, and you've got more, uh, more Bigby shops and growing and growing and growing, keeping the culture going. 
Thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, be a part of this. I appreciate it. And folks, just remember, teamwork really does make the dream work. We get the culture. We start to pull it all together. Teamwork, leadership, and culture is what the Teamwork Advantage is all about. And, you know, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas that you can implement immediately. Mike has given us several of those here today that you can take to every level within your organization. And remember, as I always say, having a good day is just being average. Don't be an average person. Go out and make today and every day an excellent, an exceptional day. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit TeamsRock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.